you know, let's get right into this, because this, this series, Finding Your Way Back, is, has, is so great, because it's for so many of us that find ourselves wandering at one time or another, find ourselves that it's, we've stepped further away from, if, if God is our center of reference, if that's the case for you in your life, there's times where you'll fall farther, you'll far, we'll fall away from that, and we know that. Jesus knows that. Jesus came to his disciples, and he had this very intimate conversation with them. And he knows, he looks at him, he says, I know there's going to be times where their faith is not going to be perfect. We know that. And we know there's times that, they're, they're, that their life and their choices, choices are not going to be perfect. And when those times come, when, it's, when the, the, where you feel like th- you're, you're making wrong choices, you feel like your doubts are getting in your way, you feel like things are getting in the way, you can tend to wander off. And Jesus knows that. And he's very concerned about how you respond when you've wandered off off. It's funny, it's not as much that he's concerned about the wandering as it is how you respond when you wander. Because he's going, my father will respond in a way that will surprise you. My father's going to respond in, in a way that's going that's to um, that's, that's show far more compassion than what you're expecting. He's afraid that if we stay out here and we, stay, we wandered off, he's afraid that we might just keep wandering. Or if we're so afraid of how God's going to respond to us, we'll never want to come back. And so he's sitting there with his disciples and he's going, I need to tell you guys, these, things, these times will happen. You will wander. You are prone to wander. And when they do, I want you to remember how my, my father responds. And he tells him this story. And this is the story of the prodigal son. It's a story we've been reading the last couple of weeks in here. We're just going to continue to read this story. It's good to get this over and over again for you guys to really get this in. Because this is super important for Jesus to bring this to his disciples for them to hear this. Okay? He says this. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of his citizens of the country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough, and, 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 and bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against, you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him. And was so filled with compassion, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his, but the father said to his slaves, Quick, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, what's interesting with this story is that Jesus could have stopped right there. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of this son that wandered off, that squandered all of his stuff, that came back home, and and God came running after him. His father came running after him and gave him this big hug and said, we're going to celebrate because my son is back home. That could have been the end of the story, but it's not. He keeps going. There's a whole other part. He says, now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. 
He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Father, we pray that you would, you would help us uh, to, to grab hold of what your son is saying in this. We pray that as, as we look at our own lives and, and w- times that we have wandered, we pray that you'd help us to, to recognize the things that have gotten in the way. And God, we pray that you'd help us to remove those things so we could come back to this place where you give us life and you give us joy and you give us you. We pray that we would take steps closer to you as a result of the spending this time with you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to get back to that in just a second. When I was, when I was young, the, the, I was influenced by lots of different things. I, my, my parents were a solid influence in my life. My, my grandparents were. My teachers were a great influence in my life. But, but television was also a great influence in my life back then. Because back then, all we had was very wholesome television. There was, besides uh, 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 Love Boat and, uh, and uh, um, Fantasy Island, those were bad. But other than that, you know, we had some pretty decent wholesome shows in our, in our life back then. And, and so I look back at that and I think, come on, we had, we had Sesame Street, which they still had. Have, but we had Electric Company. How many of you guys remember Electric Company? See, some of you guys know Electric Company. You guys don't know Electric Company at all. Uh, you got you got Electric Company. You got you got um, you got Zoom. You guys remember Zoom? Zoom was one of those shows back there with Electric Company and Sesame Street. And then you had these two guys that shaped our lives way back then. You had these two. You had you had Captain Kangaroo. I don't know if you guys have ever seen any old shows of Captain Kangaroo. I can't believe that was on that long. We had Captain Kangaroo, and, and, and then we have Mr. Rogers. And these guys helped speak into our lives. Well, I remember one episode with Mr. Rogers. I remember one episode in particular where he was doing a science experiment. And he took a pan like this one, a little, a little pan, and he, and he took some water and he put the water into the pan. And then he took some pepper and he, and he, and he put the pepper into the pan just like this. And I don't know if he grinded. I don't think there were, there were pepper grinders back then. Uh, but he, 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 put the, he put the pepper into the pan and then he took some soap, and we're sitting there watching this as a little kid. How many of you guys know the soap and pepper? You guys, you don't remember Mr. Rogers and what he did with this? Come on. He took, takes this soap, and you put the soap in the middle of this pan. You guys are all going to try this when you get home, and you're gonna, it's, gonna, it's like magic. He puts it in the middle of the pan, and, and watch what happens. Here, turn on the, um, the overhead camera for us. We, we don't have it there. there. That's the closest we got to an overhead camera. Okay, so, so he puts it in, and what happens is all the pepper shoots to the outside. The soap goes in there right in the middle, and all the pepper just goes. See what? See, look. Actually, no, I can't show it to you. It's, it, it all just goes straight to the outside, super clean. It's just like, it's like the water, it's just straight water here, and all the pepper is now clinging to the outside from putting that soap in there, okay? Someone told me after the last service why it's... I don't know, some sort of 
science thing. Um, but but, but it, it, all the pepper goes, yeah, science. Well, I'm sitting there thinking about that experiment as we're thinking about this series. I'm thinking about those times where if, if we're calling God the center of reference in my life, those times where I find myself far away, those times where for one reason or another, I have kind of ran to the edge and I find myself out here. And some of those times they happen because of things that I've decided to do. Decisions I've made that I just know aren't the direction the Lord wants for me and I find myself wandering way out here. It's, it's, it's the, the doubts that I have. Last week I spoke about doubt and how the doubts that I have can tend to pull me to the edge. There's things that we do to ourselves and that we're dealing with that can pull us away and now we feel distant from God and we're trying to find our way back. Every once in a while though, Every once in a while, it's not necessarily something we've done, but it's something somebody else has done. Every once in a while, you got somebody that comes in and they're the soap. They're the soap that makes the pepper go to the edges. They're the soap that shoots us off to the sides. Every once in a while, other people, with what they might say or what they might, might do, actually pulls us away from God. Now, those people might be people that we love. You might, that might happen in your marriage at times, where something that was said we might pull you away from God. It might happen in your, with your roommates. It might happen with your, in your work situation, where something that's said or done ends up making you feel like you're just even further away. You see that happening in church circles all the time. You see that happen in, 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 in you know, the, the, the Christian world. You see that happening all the time. A friend of mine, it, sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big. One, one friend of mine, he, he said that, you know, he was going to church and he was feeling like, you know, God was right there in his life. And he said, and then, and then his mom got sick and his mom died. And the pastor of the church that he was at said to him that the reason why she died is that you didn't have enough faith. Now, let me tell you right away, that's pathetic. That's if, if you ever hear anybody in here ever say that, run away from this church or any church that you're at, that that's what they would be preaching. Because that's flat wrong. It's, 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 it's bad counsel. It's bad theology. But that's what this person did. And so my friend ended up far away. And he said, I have never come back. 18 years I've been inviting him back to church. And he won't come back. Because somebody was the soap that pushed him to the very edge and he can't find his way back. He doesn't even want to find his way back because that person got in the way. Another friend of mine had a divorce. And about a year, year and a half after his divorce, I was, I was on a plane with him and I was saying, man, how's it been since the divorce? And he says, Bill, to be honest with you, the hardest part has been my Christian friends. They're the most judgmental of anybody. They're the ones that are saying, I made some massive mistake. And he says, and because of that, I feel as far away from God as I've ever felt. They were the ones that pulled him away. And now he's on the edge. I had a friend that, was, that, that lost his job in the church. And the church was divided in how they, they, that some of them felt like that was justified that he lost his job. Other ones felt like he, did, they, he wasn't justified that he lost his job. But in the end, he felt judged by so many of them. And the way he described it is he says, I felt like I walked up to the steps of the church and I looked through the little keyhole and I could see everybody in there. And he thought, I wasn't welcome. I wasn't welcome. I'm on the outside. And he's going, I wanted to be able to walk to the front 
But these people were there in between it. And these people were, had their opinion. And it was the soap that pushed them to the edge. Sometimes that happens within our world that is a, our, our church world. But sometimes it just happens in just our world. It happens with your spouse. Or you might say something to your spouse that, that was, was mean-spirited. Or you might say something that might have brought up a past that, that, that your spouse has been trying to, to, to get away from. And you bring it back up. And it hurts. And you find yourself farther away because of something they said. You know, it's, it, you're, you're, you go to work and, and you had something that was rightfully coming to you at work. And somebody else stepped in the way. And they took it from you. In those situations, we feel robbed. We feel robbed of an idea, robbed of innocence, or robbed what was rightfully coming to us, robbed of a job opportunity, or robbed of, of, of our confidence, robbed of our passion, robbed of our joy. That's the way we feel like we've been robbed of it. And in the end, we, we feel like this, we, we're owed something. They took something from us. My, 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 my friend took something from me. And you're, you're feeling like that. We're feeling in a lot of ways like we're a victim. I looked up the definition of victim and it says, one that is adversely affected by a force or agent, one that is injured, destroyed, or sacrificed under, under, various of, 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 under any of various conditions, one that is subjected to oppression, hardship, or mistreatment, one that is tricked or duped, now that seems harsh. How, could I really do that to my spouse? You just go, yeah. Yeah, we can. We can say something that early on in the morning you say something and it just digs in and that person feels like they've just been a victim of, of just a harsh treatment. And what comes from that is we build a bitterness around that. We build, at first it's a disappointment, at first it's just sadness, but it eventually it turns into just straight anger and bitterness. I mean, I think back when I was in college and the times that, that, that we, we would say something to a roommate we, and, and, you just, and you knew that it was really cutting at them. And you just know that they were a victim of what you did. And, and then from that, the bitterness that comes... And the anger that comes, sadness that turns to bitterness and anger and resentment, that those kinds of things start to, to, start to, to sit out there with you on the outskirts. A pastor in Oklahoma, Craig Rochelle, says this. I love this. He says, he says love keeps no record of wrongs, but bitterness keeps a detailed account. Bitterness keeps a detailed account. When we have been hurt, when we have been betrayed, when we, have been, when we have felt like we've been stabbed in the back, we felt like we're a victim. There's a bitterness there that keeps an account. You start to, you, you know exactly what happened. You go through in your head all the conversations or the main conversation and you just get more and more upset. You get more frustrated and angry at the conversation. Your, your justice meter is going off. You're thinking about all the things you said. You're thinking about all the things you didn't say. You're thinking about all the things you want to say. You rehearse in your head the conversation that you really want to have at this point and say, here's where I want to show you 
how justified I am in this frustration in what you've done and what you've said to me. That's, that's the record of right and wrongs. And what happens is it's like, a, it's like the soap, it's invisible. When you, when you put the soap in, you don't see all the rest of it. You see the pepper go to the edges. It's, it's invisible in what it does in our relationship with the Lord. We don't realize that it's doing anything in our relationship with the Lord. But the next thing you know, you're out there on the edge and you're going, why do I feel so distant from God as a result of what this person has done to me? Why do I feel so distant? And you try to figure out what, what's, what's happening there. Well, what, what, on top of that, what happens is it lingers. It, we, we linger in that, in that frustration. We linger in that disappointment. We linger in that anger. Sometimes we actually even want to linger in it. Because you want the person that hurts you to know how bad it hurts. And you're going, I want you to know that this is going to last for a while. And so it can last for, for days. Or it can last for weeks. I mean, there's times where, where when you're with a friend and they've hurt you, or you're just going, you know, this, I could probably do something about this today or tomorrow, but I know I want them to know this hurts this much, and so I'm going to make it hurt for this week. You know, that's, that's what, you know, the Bible tells us to, to, to not go, not that the sun go down on your anger, but how many times, come on, in our marriages do you let the sun go down on your anger? And sometimes you intentionally let it go down on your anger. He's just going, this hurts, and, and I'm going to make sure they know it. So, so we let it linger, and sometimes we let it linger for a day or two or a week or two, but sometimes stuff happens where it's going to linger for a long time. Sometimes it can linger for months or even years. I had this situation in my life where someone, so, someone betrayed me, and, and it, was, it was a close friend, and, and it, I can still remember it, I can still remember the hurt. I can still remember the disappointment. I can remember the confusion around that betrayal. I can remember sitting there in my office and just looking at the blank wall and just going, what in the world happened? I, could, I, could, I can remember my heart kind of beating in my chest. I can remember the, the, the feeling of the knife almost being twisted in my back. I remember all those feelings that were around it and that sense of, of sadness and almost fear that starts that you start with just turns into straight anger, turns into straight bitterness, where you're calling people up and you're just going, do you believe what this person has done? And you know that it's justified in, what, in your anger. Your anger is justified for what, they, what they've done to you. And so I, I remember that feeling and, and I remember how long it took that it wasn't just weeks or months, it was longer than that. And then I look back at that time and I'm just going, I felt so far away from God during that time too, that one actually has to do with another. When you look back at this story, think about the older son. Think about the prodigal son and then the older son. The older son is watching his little brother and he's going, he probably even could have, could have had conversation with his little brother. You know, that, that you know, I think I'm going to take my dad's inheritance. I think we're, I'm just going to go. I'm going to take his money and I'm going to go do whatever I want. And the older brother has to sit and watch that. and go, you're crazy. What are you talking about? No, I'm going to take my dad's inheritance and I'm going to go live my life. And so he did and he broke his dad's heart and he goes out there and he takes his dad's inheritance. And what happens? The older brother has to sit there 
The older brother has to watch what happens. The older brother has to now be there with his dad. The older brother has to see that his, his family is fragmented because of it. The older brother has to go, my little brother is out there doing whatever he wants and I have to work harder now. I got double the portion of work because I have to do more. The older brother gets to look and hear the stories of the little brother. In some ways, he's jealous of his little brother. He could be, he could be sitting there going, I, I, don't, I, I have to work my tail off here. I'm doing all the right things. And he gets to go out and do whatever he wants. The older brother hears the stories of the prostitution and all the ways that his little brother's spending all the money. And he's just, you, can, you, you just could picture the frustration and anger that would come from that. How much he's going, this is not fair. And I'm justified in my anger. And then the little brother comes home. And what happens? The dad actually receives him and gives him a big old hug and kiss and kills the fatted calf for him. And I love the, the, how Jesus gives specifics on this because the older brother comes back and doesn't even go to the party. He's outside of the party and he sees what was happening there. And he talks to a servant. He says, what in the world's going on? And the servant says, your little brother came home. And guess what your dad did? He killed the fatted calf. The fatted calf that we've been waiting to kill for from some massive special occasion, he killed the fatted calf for my little brother. He hasn't, I haven't even got a goat killed for me and my friends and he's killed this fatted calf for this kid that squandered everything. His anger and resentment would have to be through the roof at this point. His dad comes out to him and talks to him and said, son, your little brother left. We thought he was lost and now he is found. And here's what's weird, you guys. Jesus leaves the story there. He, he doesn't wrap it up in a bow and say, and then the older brother realized it and thought this is cool and we all went and had a party together. He didn't say that. He left it there, which is so interesting because this is the story of the lost son that left and then came home, but it's also the story of another lost son. It's the story of the one that stayed home, but then in the end, felt further away. It's the story of the lost son, the older son, that looks at what's happening and is going, there is somebody that is standing in the way between me and my father. And for us in our life, there's those moments where there's somebody standing in the way between me and that center of reference that is my Lord in my life. There's something, somebody that's standing in the way between me and my joy that I could have. And that bitterness just grows. Now we're warned about that bitterness. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin the whole garden in no time. He's going, be careful of that bitterness. You're locked into that bitterness. You're locked into that frustration. You're locked into focusing on that person that stands in the way of, the, of what's happened. You feel justified in, the way, in, in your feelings. And he's going, be careful to, not let, to, to keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. And he's saying a thistle or two gone to seed can ruin the whole garden in no time. Another translation of that is a root 
can, can ruin the garden. A root can go right on through. If you guys have aspen trees, you know the roots run right on through and then the shooters come up and the shooters come up everywhere and now you see an aspen tree over here but shooters coming up way over here in a totally different place and you look at it and you go, how in the world does that happen? It was over there and now it's over here and that's what they're saying, bitterness, what happens with bitterness left un, 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 undone right here. If bitterness is still sitting out there and something else can happen on a far other place in your life and you, because you, this is unresolved. You just, and it just comes up in these shooters and you just go, where did that frustration come from? Where did that anger come from? I look back at that time where, where, I, where I went through that betrayal and I think about the other areas of my life I was coaching my son's baseball team at the time. And, 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 you know, there were times where I would go to practice or to games. I feel so bad. There's some of the guys on the team that actually are come here to Ascent now. In fact, Chad was one of them who was on the screen. I feel like I got to apologize to all the guys on my team because there were moments in practice or in games that I would come and I would just blow up. And I'm going, where does that come from? Why in the world did I let that go? Where did it come from? And it came from something in a totally different place because it was bitterness that's left unresolved. I mean, I, I'm sitting out there. They made like three or four errors in one inning. So I went out to the, out to the mound and I said, all, everyone, all the infield, come on in. I think I gathered the outfield too. All of you, come on in. And I just went at them. You guys are not, you're not focused. Where's your head? What time did you guys go to bed last night? You know, I'm yelling at 12-year-olds for making an error. <laughs> I'm driving home going, yeah, that's good, Bill. That's really motivational for these guys. They probably, they were like, oh gosh, you're right, coach. I went to bed too late. I'll be better. You know? <laughs> it's just stupid. Where does that bitterness come from? Where did that, where did that anger come from? It came from unresolved bitterness over here. You know, it's, it's, and, and, and it springs up, it springs up in your marriage. All of a sudden you're upset. Who took the remote? And you just go, what am I so upset about? But you do, you go to the grocery store and you're standing in line in the express line and, 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 you're, and you know there's 15 items or less and the person in front of you, you're counting them, 19, that's wrong. You know, your justice meter's going off and you're going, this is gonna take me an extra minute and a half now because they got 19 items. And then you wonder what in the world's going on. I mean, it's affecting me and my golf. I'm a, I'm a, I love playing golf. It's one of my favorite places to be. During that season of life, you didn't want to play golf with me. I'm chucking clubs. I'm swearing on the course. What, what do you do as a profession? I'm a pastor. Yeah! You know? <laughs> Where's it coming from? It's bitterness unresolved. And then when it's unresolved, it starts to, it start, it, it, it starts to, to emerge in, in, in deeper places. You know how much premarital counsel I've done with people where I'll sit with them and I'll talk about stuff. And the next thing you know, they'll start talking about some things and they'll get angry about it. And you just go, you know what? That has nothing to do with even you two. That's something that you, that's happened from way before and you just haven't resolved it yet. You're still holding on to it. And now it's coming right into this marriage that you're about to have. People that have been hurt in the church, when you do a startup church, when you start up with a church, you got people that have been in other churches that have been hurt in those churches. Some of you guys have been in those places. But if it's unresolved, if you, just, if you are hurt in that church and it's unresolved and you come to another church, you'll eventually find it again. You'll keep looking for it and you'll find it again. I guarantee you'll find messed up stuff in the church. We're all broken people. So if you look hard enough, you're gonna find it. And we'll keep looking for it because it's bitterness 
unresolved. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus says this. He says, I need you to do something. I need you to do something. And we look at him and go, no, 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 no. You got that wrong, Jesus. It's not me that's got to do something. It's that person that stands in the way. They're the ones that are wrong. You are all powerful, Jesus. Go to that person and tell them what they need to do. They need to, apologize. They need to do something. I'm not the one that's in the wrong. And he's going, no, I need you to do something. And it's going to do far more to help you than it would even to help them. I'm going to give you the one key that's needed to unlock the chains that you're feeling right now in your bitterness that's affecting your life and the life of the people around you. I'm going to give you that key and it's going to be counterintuitive because you feel like someone owes you. You feel like there is someone that has taken something from you and they owe you. I know you feel that way. And I know that maybe an apology might pay. That might pay the debt. And so you're hoping for that apology from them. I know they live 10 states over, but you're hoping for an apology from them. Or maybe you're hoping that something bad happens to them. Because if something bad happens to them, then there's some sort of payment. In our dumb human economy, it's like, okay, that kind of pays it because something bad happened to them. He's going, no, no, I need you to do something else. I need you to cancel the debt. I need you to cancel the debt. I need you to forgive them. And we're saying no chance. Forgive them? No chance. Because you know what happens if I forgive them? I let them off the hook. I let them off the hook. And I'm not going to let them off the hook. They've hurt me. I am not going to let them off the hook. And Jesus looking at us and saying, who's really on the hook? Who's really hooked? Man, they're just continuing to live their life. You're the one that's hooked. You're hooked to, to, to a bitterness that's affecting your marriage and your coaching and, your, and, and, your, and, and, and driving down the freeway in the grocery store. You're the one that's hooked. You're the one that's hooked that you can't see me, you can't experience the joy that I, I'm giving you because you've got somebody in the way. You're hooked. And I want to let you off the hook. I don't want you to live that way. And so I need you to do something. I need you to cancel their debt. I need you to forgive them. But I don't feel like it. And so we hear that and we just go, all right, fine. I don't feel like it today, but someday I'll feel like forgiving. Someday I'll feel like, 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 like going or forgiving someone for something. But we could go our entire life with ever feeling it. And we're still stuck out there on the hook. I love what Groeschel says about this. He says, he says, I don't know if I've ever felt like forgiving. Forgiveness runs so contrary to our sense of justice and fairness that it's unlikely we'll ever feel like forgiving. But the scripture for, in the scriptures, forgiveness is never presented as a feeling. It's always described as a decision. Forgiveness is a gift we decide to give in spite of how we feel. Man, you hear that? It's, it's, it's a gift that we decide to give in spite of, sometimes, of how we feel. 
Jesus talks about this. One day Jesus and Peter were walking down the street and, G- and Peter was struggling with somebody in his life that he was, that he was that, that, that something had, he had, someone had done something to him. And he turns to Jesus and he's going, Jesus, how many times do I gotta forgive this person? And, and do I gotta forgive him like seven times? And Jesus says, no, I'm saying 70 times seven or I'm saying 77 times or uh, you know, one, one verse says seven times seven. It's 490 or 77. Basically Jesus is saying, no, you need to just keep doing it. You need to keep making the decision to do that. That it's not a feeling. You just got to keep doing that. And then he tells him this story. He says, it's a story of, of, a, of a king that he's going, this king had a servant and he, the servant owed him an extreme amount of money, more than he could ever pay back. And, he's, and, and the king says, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to sell you guys. And, and the servant says, no, no, show mercy. And the king says, all right, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to cancel your debt. I'm making the decision right now. I'm going to cancel your debt. And then the servant went out and somebody else was out there and the, that owed the servant. And the servant had the chance to cancel the debt and the servant didn't. He went after the guy and said, come on, you owe me. And the servant went back to the king and the king's going, what are you doing? I made the decision to cancel your debt. Now you need to do the same. Jesus is looking at Peter and he's going, that's us. See, when I went to the cross and I stood there at the cross, there was a lot of debt. Every time you've ever done anything that stepped away from me or my father, every time you've had that chance where you're going, I know what the Lord wants for me, but I'm going to go this way instead. Every time you had that moment where you had that decision that you had to make and you decided to make a decision that was contrary to what the Lord wanted for us, that's a debt. That's a debt that we've got to pay. And Jesus was at the cross and he says, and you know what? I'm going to cancel it. I'm going to cancel the debts of every one of these people. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die on the cross for those debts. And he's looking at us and he's going, I don't need you to go to the cross, but I need you to remember the cross. And I need you to cancel debt as well. Or you're going to be locked up out there in your bitterness. Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta, says this. He says, we knew at Calvary we lost our right to refuse to forgive anyone. It's in the shadow of the cross that we're commanded and required to forgive others. We recognize that in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from the one undeserving soul to another. Forgiveness is the gift that ensures my freedom from a prison of bitterness and resentment. Hear that again. Forgiveness is a gift that ensures my freedom from a prison of bitterness and resentment. Forgiveness is talked about 146 times in the New Testament. We might sit here and say, I don't know if I'm dealing with that right now. I don't know in my life if if I've got that person in my life that I need to forgive. Uh, Jesus is going, I think maybe we do. If he's going to bring it up that many times, it's that important that he knows that bitterness and anger can keep us separated from the God of love and joy that's right here waiting for us. What do we got to do? Andy Stanley says this. He says, he says we got to identify what's been taken. Think about that. Identify what's been taken. What debt is owed? Identify that. And then he says, cancel the debt. It's not a feeling it's a decision. It's not this, oh, do I, when I'm ready to, it's a decision. Cancel the debt. 
And then this third one is, is, is a big one. Refuse to hold that debt against them again. How many times do we say, I've forgiven them, and then you see them the next time and you go, oh, there you are again. No, I've forgiven them. Oh, there he is. Or you say, I've forgiven them, and then you just rip on them to other people. Uh, really? You forgive them, and then you forgive them again. Now, now, forgive and forget. That's a bunch of baloney. We might not ever forget. Those memories, especially the hard ones, will stick with us. But here's what happens. Romans 12 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the patterns of this world that we conform to? The patterns of this world is we say, This person owes me, and I'm going to wait till they pay me. This person owes me, and I'm going to wait till the apology. I am justified in this, and I'm going to sit out here, and I'm going to hold on to this as long as I can until the person pays me back. That's conforming to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As the Holy Spirit gives us the courage to be able to say, no, I am going to cancel that debt. And again, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to forgive again. 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 What happens? What happens is our mind starts to be transformed. And those things that once stood in the way and was a marker in our life of something that stood in the way of us and God becomes the thing that we now look at and say, now, that no longer wins, that's no longer there, that's no longer claiming the place in my life. And I have full joy and freedom in the Lord because he's given me the power to forgive. He's given us the keys. He's not saying go to the cross. He's saying, remember the cross and cancel the debt. Whether it's a debt that you've got with your wife, that you've, you, you and your wife have just not seen eye to eye for the last two or three days, cancel the debt. It's a roommate that you guys have had a month now of just fighting with each other, cancel the debt. It's someone at work that for this last six months has taken advantage of you, cancel the debt. It's somebody that has hurt you deeply, that you've held on to for months and months and years. Cancel the debt. Get off the hook and step towards the life that Jesus has for us. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us wherever we at with that. I know that some of us might not even have anything in mind right now with that, but Lord, we pray that you would, you would help us to, when those times come, that we would be able to surrender when we need to surrender and that we would need to be able to cancel and you give us the courage to cancel no matter how much we justify in our head not to. We pray that you would help us to cancel the debts. And Lord, for the people in this room that are, have got some deep-seated hurt, some painful stuff that someone has robbed them of, I pray even those people would be able to look to you with the courage that you give them and that they too would cancel the debt so that they would not be imprisoned, imprisoned by it, but they would be set free from it and be able to live in the joy of the life that you give us. Help us to live that way, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's sing.